We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Project 24 ends disappointingly as Project 22, but it's not all doom and gloom at the weekend as Alexander Lacazette hilariously trolls Spurs by throwing a touchdown to Aubameyang. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I spent most of yesterday vomiting, like a good 40% of yesterday, uh, over the toilet vomiting. Um, So now, uh, instead of throwing up my food, I'm going to throw up bad footballing opinions, which is par for the course, which is what most of you have told me. Uh, so first, let me introduce who's going to be doing that with me. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Clive's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. All good. Um, so a couple things, quick housekeeping. I forgot there is a uh, Carabao Cup game this week, which means we're going to have to do a podcast on Thursday, which means trying to get in the In the Spotlight episode is going to be next to impossible, uh, but we we will do it. Uh, we will do it next week, just not this week. So I apologize for that. Uh, we will do the In the Spotlight episode on, drumroll, Granite Xhaka. Granite Xhaka. We wanted to do it on a former player, but the uh, the votes came in as as wanted to do it on a current player. So the current player is going to be Granite Xhaka. Divides opinion, to say the least, and we'll be going deep in, not in, on, ooh, yuck, Granite Xhaka uh, in, the, in the Spotlight episode. So quick caveat before we get started. Look, this is a podcast we do after every single match, and the job of this podcast is to analyze the match, to analyze the performance. Um, It wouldn't be very fun to just say, well, it's a process. Let's give it time. Let's see how it goes. We have to draw some conclusions, make some analysis. Some of it's complimentary. We've been on a great winning run. Some of it, you know, I think in this game, we're going to have to be a little bit critical of decisions and performances. and, And that's sort of the job of analyzing every match. So 
I think it's important just to remember that we're not, you know, jumping to massive final conclusions here, but we are going to throw out what we think. Of course, we'll try to do it in a balanced, measured, and circumspect way. So with that said, Paul, should we sack Emery? Look, look, it's a process. And are you talking from the bottom of a well? Well, what happened? Did you lose your microphone, man? <laughs> I know. Testing, testing. No, How am I sounding? You sound terrible. You sound like you're coming through your computer speakers. Keep Jeez. going. Keep Just keep doing it. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's a process. You can't you can't really overanalyze these matches. In fact, you shouldn't analyze this one. But that aside, um, no, I think we should keep Emery. But I, I must say, I have a certain sympathy for your view expressed a couple of weeks ago that looking for uh, definitive uh, indications that the system we're changing to has kicked in. You know, you really are looking through the tea leaves at at the moment, it does feel like, um, and as you, you couch this, you know, that it's a little bit of a downer having gotten a draw that feels a bit like a loss. I guess we've been spoiled recently. 22 from 24, you can't complain. We've been on a good run. That's uh, of 10 games, that's 2.2 points per game. We do that uh, throughout the season. We're going to get, we're going to hit top four for sure, possibly top three, maybe even top two ish if we kept up that rate. Of course, so, yeah. If you kept up that rate, so, we'd, we'd win the title. <laughs> you win yeah. every single game, you win the title. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, you got to couch it in, the, in those terms. But uh, I, I'd, I'd say probably the biggest frustration at the end of this particular match is just it's not very clear that the performances, you know, maybe there's something to those stats, those underlying stats we talk about, that this performance doesn't have you going away saying bring on Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, regardless of the results, regardless of the incidents, regardless of talking about penalties or not, or our production or not. Um, and, 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 and there's lots of reasons for it in extenuating cir- circumstances. But I didn't come away from this one feeling real good, and I don't think anybody did. I think I told you on the WhatsApp I was glad there wasn't a podcast ye- yesterday because it was still kind of, rolled up in a ball i tend to need about 48 hours to uncurl after after a disappointment and you know we were we were all set for 24 points so it hurt so you poisoned me so that we could record today thanks man really appreciate it as long as you're happy that's what's important yeah yeah well look I, i mean we'll back up and we'll start from the beginning but i think there's a couple of things in there paul that you said that that are really fair and one of them is just that There was this discussion for a few weeks that the underlying numbers, and I know people don't always like those, that the underlying numbers did not support the conclusion that we had necessarily earned this win streak. Although, look, you win, you win. No one takes the points away. Um, But the, the problem for me wasn't underlying numbers. It's that the performances looked uneven and unconvincing. And then we got into a run of a couple of games there, you know, the second half against Fulham, the second half against Leicester, where you said maybe this is coming together. Um... You know, for me, I always expected that Emery was going to have trouble turning around the defense because the personnel just isn't very good, you know, let alone the system we've been playing in for years. But I always expected that the attack would carry us. And if I have to be worried about anything right now, it would be the attack because I think our buildup still looks muddled and confused. Now, a lot of that is going to be down to the lineup in this game. So, so Clive, we should go back to that. I mean, he starts with Granite Chaka at left back. He's got Licksteiner at right back. This is a system that if, if we've learned anything about it, it's that it really depends on build-up through the wings and, and the fullbacks are involved in it. And so without Hector Bellerin, who's been fantastic at that part of the game, without Nacho Monreal or Kolasinac, both of whom you know have excelled 
uh, especially as we've been left side dominant, this was always going to be difficult. For you, is the single biggest problem with this match simply that the fullback situation prevented us from playing the way we wanted to? Uh, I think that's part of it. And I think taking one of our best centre midfielders, uh, that's a debate, and we'll debate that on the in the spotlight, in Shaka moving out, that takes away a level of control in the centre of the pitch. It takes away a level of build-up from central areas. And then you have a situation where we are very much a fullback-based team. Uh, I don't like using this phrase, but you know what I'm going to say. Working from the half space, creating space on the outside, and then building up play that side. Creating overloads, cross, instant passing, goal. So once you take out the key cog, you then say to yourself, okay, what have we got left? And we managed to get a, a two-goal burst, and we nearly won this game although I do think uh, a draw is a fair result and sometimes when you get to a a minor disappointment which we can all sort of breathe and, and accept we get to that minor disappointment and basically I feel what does this do to our heads where does this take us right so we're basically trying to be re- really quite patient we're basically trying to say okay are we starting to see the start of ceilings? Are we starting to see the key influences when they're not there? Are we starting to see the underlying player set and how far can they take us? And that's where my head is going. I think what Emery has done over these previous games has been absolutely fantastic. And I think he's, he's focused on hard work, the basics, the fundamentals, the instant play, much more direct, much quicker passing, more forward passing a much more competitiveness of the ball. And we've seen the results, right? So, but now we're starting to expose a, another layer of player that's affecting our pattern. And I think if we are sensible people, which we are, I like to think, as we look forward to to January, I think for me, this starts to highlight where we need to supplement this squad and potentially make upgrades. If we are to really see Emery's style, be repeated week on week on week. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I, I think, look, again, I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. 22 out of 24 points is brilliant. I think we yeah. did really well. I think we are on this podcast to analyze what happened in this game and draw some conclusions from this game and then how that relates to the wider situation at the club. And so we have to do that. And I think there are little issues that pop up here. I mean, obviously having no fullbacks that are either natural fullbacks or you know, still in their early 30s, was a problem in this game. Um, I think there were some good things. I'm glad Leno kept his place. Uh, you know, I think he deserved it, and he did. Uh, but, Paul, Socrates did not get back in the side. Now, he's just back fit, um, so maybe that was the issue, but it was Mustafi and Holding. I think Holding has maybe sort of just about earned the right to keep his place, but the guy who now has said, well, wait a minute, I, I want to throw my hat back in the ring of being dropped, is Mustafi. Um, you know, you, you have really done a good job identifying this, Paul, which is just, it's not that he's a bad player, it's that he is a player who does a bad thing, a terribly, terribly bad thing, just occasionally too often, and, you know, you give away two penalties away, you're going to really struggle to, to win a game. Um, Mustafi's penalty is rash, it's the kind of thing we're used to seeing him do, that dive in, throw a leg in when he shouldn't. Um, I mean, how did you feel about his performance overall, and where do you stand on him based on the way he played in this game? Yeah, I mean, Mustafi is going to Mustafi about every three games, it seems. Uh, He gets a lot of flack when he Mustafi's two games in a row, but it it seems at the moment it's it's every, maybe every three games he throws in a Mustafi. Uh, He actually did a a similar sliding tackle 
uh, on Zaha like five, ten minutes before that, I think, in the game. But um, I guess no real candidate for a penalty there. And then there was the other one where he clipped the guy early on as well on the edge of the box, which was, you know, unnecessary, even if not a penalty. Um, so it seemed like today was the day he was determined to do it. Um, I thought overall his performance was okay. Uh, but uh, you can't extract the Mustafis from it, unfortunately. So. That's really the issue with him, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, you you can be a 6 out of 10 defender as long as you don't, you know, gift them a goal once every game or other game or every three games. I mean, Mustafi yeah. might be an 8 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 defender, which would be fine. But he's giving away giving away a goal every couple of games. So I mean, the interesting thing is, I mean, sliding in, uh, getting off his feet is fundamental to his game. And I'm not a centre back coach or anything like it. Um, and you know, there are all those people who say he needs to stay on his feet basically for almost every situation. But that's not his game. Um, you're not. Signing a centre back, I don't think with Mustafi. You're signing a sliding centre back. That's his game. So you put him in the team. That's what you're going to get. Lots of it. Um, he uses it as a as a proactive tool. And one would like to think that the pluses outweigh the minuses. Except with risk reward, that's not always the best scenario when you're talking about centre backs because it's hard to make it up in volume with with the positives versus the negatives. So it's it's a difficult balance. I'm not sure what to make of him. Does he do enough good to balance that out? It doesn't feel like it because, you know, a penalty is a goal. So Can uh, I just it's hard say, to make. Yeah, sure. I was going to say, just in addition to what you're saying there, Paul, the thing that I think frustrates people about Mustafi's mistakes is they come out of nowhere. Yeah. Right? So we're in the game. We're doing okay. There's a little bit defending to do. And bang, where's that come from? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you think back to the Sergio Aguero one against City, it's kicked down the middle, decision, bang, he's in on goal, we concede, we lose the cup final. I sometimes think when a player makes a mistake based on the stress he's put under or how he's exposed, which was a lot of our, which was a big issue for our centre backs over the last five years. But when I see this mistake, this is a decision in the penalty box when we are defending en masse. And the decision was made. And he basically, the guy snuck up on him. He didn't mean to take him. The guy snuck up on him. But that's what he felt he should do in that decision. And so, I've always said this. I've always said this. One more thing, mate. I've always yeah, said I've this. Yeah, I've got a question for you, though. Uh, yeah, we, this guy is a blown-up fullback. He's a fullback that lost speed, and they've used his aggression in the centre of defence. Fullbacks can tend to go to ground. When he goes into collisions, he he's stretching he feels physically challenged when he's sharp he tends to stay on his feet more when he's under duress he feels physically channeled and challenged and he needs to make up the distances by going to ground quick and sharp it's a habit he's got into that can be perceived as rash but for me it's the playing style and the playing style that robustness about his playing style can work on occasions in the one tackle you're going to get booked type league that we're developing into in the premier league I'm not sure it works. Stand-up defenders like Laporta and Stones, who stand up lean, physically in charge like Van Dyke, tall, strong defenders, quick in the challenge, quick on the ball, they're the ones that give the perception of, I've got this space under control. When I look at Mustafi, I see a defender on his physical edge that some days 
does a great job on that edge. But every now and again, there's something that's absolutely, totally inexplicable that does not belie his overall performance. Yeah, and and I mean, look, I'm going to do something out of the ordinary here. I'm going to defend Mustafi in one respect. I watched him give away that penalty over and over and over again because I'm like, this guy is such an idiot. And the only thing that I see that, that gives me pause is the ball's there for him to clear. You know, it's in the penalty box, in a dangerous area. He sees it there. If he lunges at it, he can clear it. I don't think the player is in his eye line. I think he's slightly behind him. So he lunges thinking, I'm just going to kick this clear. The player then steps in front of his lunge, and the lunge gets the player instead of the ball. So, again, it's not a play you can make in your penalty box. You can't clear a ball that way. You have to be fundamentally sound, and this guy loves, you know, going to ground. But... The only thing that keeps it from being obscenely stupid for me is I don't think he sees the player. I don't think he's aware of the risk. He sees the ball. He thinks I can get it, and I'm going to get it clear. But again, that's why fundamentals are so important in defending and just staying on your feet. And what I loved about Per Mertesacker as a defender is for all of his flaws in athleticism, he was an incredibly cerebral defender. And Mustafi is like the opposite. He's He's got good athleticism. and He's like the dumbest defender I've ever seen in my life. Um, l- let's do this, though. I really think nah. the issue is... All right, he is he is a potentially <laughs> dumb defender. How about that? I, he is a defender who has lapses of judgment that are shocking. Is that fair? Well, so no, it, let's I mean, let's move uh, on. We've we've covered no, him. Just, There's a lot to. I get just want to. I do want to argue it. I want to make two quick points. Clive identified two things for me. One is the decision making, like the Aguero moment, and the other one we talked about the going to ground. And we don't have to debate it now, but I do think there's two different things, and his decision making. You know, they they are two different things that somewhat related. The going to ground thing is just a constant stylistic thing. And, and so the question for me is, that is that even workable? So anyway, there well, you go. Well, and, and then it, it begs the question now. I think Socrates, Socrates, whatever you want to call him, is has to be one of the two starting center, fo- center backs. So mm-hmm. the question is, is it Holding or Mustafi? And on balance, I think Mustafi is a better defender than Holding and a much better passer. But Holding probably just about puts us in the shit a little bit less than Mustafi does. So I have no idea where the manager is going to go with that uh, or head coach. So, But, Paul, the, the, the issue that I want to get to, because I think it is ultimately the bigger issue, this team is only ever going to be so good defensively with the people that it can put on the pitch, especially without fullbacks. But it should be better in attack. The buildup was really bad, and if you want to see something really intelligent that played out just as he described it, go to that Gooner's timeline, PM, at that Gooner. And look at his write-up after the Leicester game where he said sort of familiar problems. And I'm thinking familiar problems. You picked a weird game for that, mate. This was a this was a great win in the second half. But he identified some of the problems we have accessing central spaces in build-up and the way we use wide spaces. And and it was really interesting as I read it because everything he talked about was an issue in this game. So you got Ganduzi and Torreira. You have good ball progression there. You should. And yet the departments were so separate. As Clive always talks about distances, the distances were bad in this game. The forwards were disconnected from the attack. Um, I thought Mesut dropped in a little bit at times, and when he did, that helped, but not enough. It looked like he was being instructed to stay forward. For me, it was the distance between Torreira and Ganduzi and the four ahead of them that was a major problem. I mean, for you, Paul, what was the single biggest point of failure in us trying to build play? So, yeah, I think there... There's a few pieces. So Leno's passing was super clean. He was like 97, 98%. Um, 
So he was passing out nice and clean and getting it to whoever he wanted to get it to. Torreira's passing was in the 90s too. Ganduzi was in the 80s. Um, Ganduzi's a very busy player. So like sometimes you'll have an argument with somebody on Twitter about how he performed or his play and they'll say, oh, well, his stats, this, that and the other. It's kind of a little bit of the, uh, I don't want to set everybody off. I'm not saying to the Coquelin haters, he's like a Coquelin. But he has a bit of that. You can His just name me. You can high. just name check me when you say that. You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, he's a very busy player. I like him a lot. Um, I don't know. And what I will say in the favor of Terrera and Ganduzi is they're very feisty, and we certainly had the energy to take on their midfield. I think we got the upper hand of it in many ways in terms of the battle itself, which we haven't always had in previous years. Uh, but the ball progression from um, from the goalkeeper and the centre-backs uh, up through the midfield. I mean, time and time again, I looked at this match to see where's Iwobi, where's Ozil, because there's just that disjointedness, and you're wondering, why isn't one of them coming deeper to form at three? They're always that other side of the line. They're leaving it to Torreira and Ganduzi. And I don't think, uh, I think Ganduzi has the ability to get to that level and to that level of smartness, but it's, it's a really big ask for that player to be, I mean, it's basically his job. He's kind of the eight, he's the bridge between the two and whoever's ahead of him, whoever's dropping in, uh, Ozil Iwobi as that third midfielder. And I think he did okay, but not great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying he had a bad game and he did lots of good stuff, but there's something not quite right there. And then you throw in two dysfunctional full, uh, wings from a full backing standpoint, especially in the second half when we'd lost Bellerin. Um, and in the first half, Bellerin was constrained because he had to keep, basically had to cover his ass with Zaha. So that held him back. And, you know, the options up the wing aren't strong in a game like this and the options through the middle, there's just something not quite right there. And I don't even think our playing out with the, with the, the goalkeeper doesn't seem to be anything particularly clever with it at the moment. We're just playing it to somebody and then they play it up. Yeah. So I, I'm, just, I'm it, still waiting for it to develop a personality. I don't know what we're trying to do from the back. We're doing a bit of something, uh, but it's very predictable by the time Terrera and Ganduzi get it, their midfield set. So, we're not exactly, you know, you're not seeing this big switch or, you know, uh, Terrera dropping deep and then immediately switching it to the other side because he's drawn the cover or anything particularly uh, uh, creative in terms of how we're coming out of the back. And so everybody's marked when Terrera and Ganduzi get it. Yeah, I mean, Ozil had to drop in more, but I this was a bad Emery game for me. And again, let's not yeah. go crazy. I just felt both in the lineup and in the subs, he's he's entitled. He's had some very, very good games in the way he's changed them. I don't think he's figured out how he wants to start a game for starters. I mean, the problem I had with this game is he had so many people out of position. You have Licksteiner, who just looks washed on the right. You have Shaka, who's a center center midfielder, playing fullback. You have Aubameyang, who's a striker, who has proven that he struggles you know, in possession, in buildup, on the left wing, on the wing where you have a midfielder playing fullback. So you have a weak left wing, especially considering the way Palace can hurt you 
from wide spaces. We actually didn't get as hurt as much as I thought until the culminating moment where Zaha found himself alone on Shaka in the penalty area. Now, <clears throat> on the other wing, you have Awobi. And Clive, This is I, we're going to come to the striker thing in a bit because I think that's a big, big part of this discussion now. But Awobi is a really bizarre player because he has been one of the bright spots of our entire season. The minute you slide him over to the right, he just looks useless. Um, he's an inverted winger at best, and he wants to cut in on his right, and he's not someone who feels as comfortable hugging the touchline, and so he just doesn't seem capable of playing on the right. I think you could put Ramsey out there to better effect than Iwobi. I mean, for you, is one of the stories of this match the weaknesses in those wide forward positions with Iwobi on the right and, and Aubameyang on the left? I think, to go back a little bit, if you don't mind, I think... I was um, expecting it. Yeah, I think... We touched on we talk about distances, right? And we, we talk about defensive distances. We talk about offensive distances. And the thing that keeps a team compact and our distances nice and nice and tight and consistent is energy, right? So this was the third game in six days, right? And we I felt we lost a bit of energy. And sometimes when you watch a game, we watch a game from the top of the terraces, right? It's a game of meters. When you watch a game from pitch level, you realize it's a game of inches. It really is. Can I create the, the one yard to move, to create the angle, to receive the ball, to receive the next ball? And when we flow really well, like our length of the pitch goals, everybody is in exactly the right place and the right body shape for the next pass. And that's why it looks so wonderful. The moment you lose some energy, the moment you lose some distances, the moment you lose, people start to think... We go back to a little bit like last year's Arsenal when it, we didn't flow. We weren't so direct. We were holding the ball on too long, for example. And this is why I think with the substitutions, what he tried to add was energy because he recognised on the third game we were lacking energy. So he forsook some control players to add some energy against a team that was growing in confidence and were out-energising us. He tried to counteract that. And I think that is just the failing that we had. It was just a variable too many. If we had if we had our left backs in place, I'm sure maybe some of those earlier moves would have would have executed better. If we had Shaka in the midfield, I'm sure we'd have had longer periods of control. If it wasn't the third game in less than six days, I'm sure we'd have had more energy, which would have led to better distances better offensive control when we lose the ball we wouldn't have transition because our distances were so it would be closer and so it's interesting in this game there's a little bit of a debate around should we have fouled earlier and the reason why we're talking about this is because transitions were appearing deeper in our half and we weren't getting them into the middle of the pitch it comes back to potential Eventually, Guendouzi and Atreus positioning, them getting to know each other. And if Guendouzi's got a fault, he's a little bit of a drifter off the ball. He just creates a bit of distances in wide areas. And I think that's easily fixed because he's on the ball personality. He's really, really good. But he's 19 and he's not consistent in his game shape yet. Whereas Shaka, 25, captain of his country, he knows where to stand. He knows where to be. He knows where not to be exposed. And he's learned that over many, many years. So I just feel, feel it was one variable too many that cost us in this game. But it didn't cost us all the points. It just cost us a couple. And I can live with that. Yeah. Can I, I ask Clive a quick question? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd prefer you did. Yeah, please do. Good. <laughs> um, so I I fully agree with that analysis. And I, uh, you see games like this, uh, and it's kind of, they put it down as, 
well, you know, you're going to have an off game. And I, this feels like that. The only question I have is most of the players up our spine were pretty well rested. Uh, I certainly agree uh, at the full back positions, but yeah. most of the players we're talking about didn't really play on Wednesday. So let's see. But it was that kind of performance. Maybe the team's tired. Maybe. But I, it's it's yeah. three days in a week, but I think, you know, again, you can only, and we've seen this with Arsene Wenger, you know, Arsene Wenger used to talk about, oh, you, you can only make so many signings or make so many rotations without disrupting the fluency and cohesion of a squad, and I think he had something to that, because you can only play so many players out of position before any mm-hmm. attempt at, at structure and cohesion falls apart, and I think Obama Yang does not work on the left. That is my opinion. Awobi, for whatever reason, is a shadow of himself on the right. Um, Shaka is not a left back, and Torreira is a washed-up right back. I, I mean, I hate to say it. It sounds harsh, but I, I think we're pretty close to being able to come to that conclusion. Not Torreira, you mean Lichtensteiner. L- L- Lichtensteiner, pardon me. Yes, thank God. Oh, God, the hate mail. The I'm, just, hate I'm mail. just saving I'm just saving. <laughs> oh, my God, thank you, sir. Oh, he's got it in for Torreira. I told you I was going <laughs> to I was gonna puke out some bad footballing opinions. Um <laughs> But so, well, let's touch on Mesodozo for one more second before we uh, take a break for Scott's stat section. So, Paul, I mean, I, I think, you know, Mesodozo comes off really a masterclass, a match-winning masterclass against Leicester. He puts up a performance in this game that I think warranted him potentially being subbed off, although I don't agree with him being subbed off, and we'll come to that when we discuss the substitutions. But, um, you know, this is a situation where that position, I think, has to link better with Torreira and Ganduzi, especially when you look at, you know, Torreira is still getting acclimated to the league and the team. Ganduzi acclimated to the league and the team and he's 19 years old. Ozil has the experience. He's wearing the captain's armband. There needed to be more ball progression in the side. Aubameyang can't really do it. The fullbacks can't do it. This is where I think Ozil, even if it's not necessarily the instruction, has to have the in-game intelligence to drop in and give them more support. I mean, for you, how, did, how do you see Ozil's role in this game and his responsibility in the performance overall? See, I agree with that, except it's terrifying that I would put my intelli- footballing intelligence up against Ozil's, you know what I mean? Oh, no, I mean, he's, he's <laughs> as bright a footballer as they come in terms of reading the game as it's happening, but maybe, yeah. you know, maybe the instruction was, I want you to stay forward so you can be more of a supply line to the, to the attackers, but, you know, do you at some point have to see my midfielders are getting isolated, I have to drop in and support them more? I mean, that is a question, right? I mean, if, if a manager gives you an yeah. instruction of what he wants you to do, and it's not working at what point as captain and you know an experienced player do you have a responsibility to say you know i have to make some tweaks here or or does that have to come from the bench i mean this is a lot of stuff that we don't know because we don't have the information where do you place the responsibility here yeah so i think that's a really good reading of of what was going on here because i do actually think ozo well as the first half progressed i started seeing him dropping in from time to time it's the trial and error. You might have an instruction. There might be a plan. But when things aren't clicking, you try a couple of different things just to try some different stuff. And I think he did drop in a bit. But it's a constant theme with. And that's why I kind of feel, uh, how do you how do you second guess a, a, the play, a player who's so intelligent about a game uh, and on the other hand can't can't be any less frustrated? I mean, we saw his frustration than we are when we see it. So I, I wonder what the bridging element is. Um, one must assume he's where he is, doing what he's supposed to be doing. So who's supposed to be making that connection? To your point, if it's not working, you try something different. But that's why I feel kind of it's the, 
is the Ganduzi role. The one yeah. thing Chaka had done in the last couple of games was he was finally, you know, uh, Clive presented Chaka as, as the guy who's get who's got the position thing down and, and knows how that role's played. And we were pretty frustrated with the Chaka Ozil connection until quite recently. They seem to have kind of worked that out, and then suddenly here we do this switch. And uh, you know, maybe something there's something to that. Maybe Chaka and Ozil were beginning to crack the code, and now we shake everything up, and Ganduzi has to relearn it, and he's just been busy doing everything he can think to do to get things going. It's a lot going through a 19 year old's head, and he's not not making the moves, finding the positions, receiving the ball with Ozil in the in the corner of his eye so that he knows immediately where he's going to lay it off. And I think I think that's the issue. I think Ozil dropping deeper would have been a fix for a problem we weren't supposed to have. Yeah, I, I guess you know you know what, Paul, like for me, we had seven shots. I think two on target. Yeah. It's not good enough. And nope. the the person who's principally responsible for creating those opportunities is Mesut Ozil. Um, and maybe that's a little unfair that for it to all fall on his shoulders. But ultimately, if we only have seven I shots... I think it in is game, unfair, though. I it, do definitely think it's unfair. I, I, think, I, um, I liked what he tried to do in the first half. It wasn't one of those where I felt he wasn't do, he wasn't where he's supposed to be doing, trying to do what he was supposed to do. We had no cutbacks. We had no width. Well, we, uh, had, we had no width. I, I totally agree with that. And if there's one little thing you can glean from the system under Emery so far is that we do want to get into the half spaces into the wing spaces in the attacking third and pull the ball back. And we never got into those positions. I think we had a couple of chances off tra- in transition. The Lacazette had the one chance that he latched onto on the stretch and missed it. And then Bellerin had a really good chance, but he just sort of slapped at it from inside the penalty area instead of sliding it to an, an open Aubameyang. Um, but that was really it. Clive, why don't you finish up on this topic? Because what I want to do is squeeze in Scott and spend the remainder of the podcast really on the two big issues for me, the substitutions and the striker situation. So what final thoughts on this? Okay, and as if you watch the Liverpool game, uh, sorry, the Leicester game, I think if you watched him there, he, he came deep and he also ran beyond Lacazette. And this is his cleverness, right? He made the pitch big after a couple of early runs in the second half. And then he dropped in and started and set up the, the Bellerin pass, through pass for Aubameyang's goal. He's a very smart player. He creates a game shape all of his own. And not every day he can create relationships like he wants to create. He needs other people to create them with. And so many of those people weren't on the pitch, particularly in the wide areas, right? So I'll give him that. What I look for with him, and I didn't, I've, I didn't see this game live, so I've got a bit of a loose connection to it. What I look for for him is his competitiveness, and his assertiveness to get on the ball and his desire to really take ownership. When I see that, I, I don't worry. I don't worry. I like yeah. to see him shaping the game. I like to see him coming deep. I don't see it as a criticism because that's what he feels he should do. When he, against Leicester, watched the game again, he ran past just twice, just went long, and the balls went through to the keeper. But immediately, their back four stepped back, and we controlled the game from there on. They never got out of their half from that moment onwards because they were now pushed back. We took over, and that's how you control the game of football, by dynamic movement into areas where they don't want you to be. So, again, I didn't feel this game, so I'm not going to say what he did this time, but I don't see that as a failing. I just see that as something that he feels he should do. Now, what I look for then is those relationships and partnerships 
and I look for his assertiveness. And I'll leave that to you guys to comment on how assertive he was. But sure. It, it didn't really, I didn't really feel that he had that, it, it, I didn't think he dominated in that way. And it's very difficult to have two 10 out of 10s in a row. No, and, and by the way, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's hard because if you don't say, anytime you say anything other than Mesodoso was, you know, a magisterial brilliant genius on the pitch, people say, oh, you yeah. have it in for Mesodoso. Mesodoso is not going to be evaluated on the same scale of performances that the mere mortals are because he isn't yeah. a mere mortal. And we've seen that he's not a mere mortal, and I don't think it's unfair to Mesut Ozil to evaluate him on a slightly different scale. And, oh, by the way, you know, when the ball progression is this poor, when you, you sh- get seven shots in a game against Palace, you have to start to look at where that broke down. And for me, it broke down a little in the distances between the central midfield and the attacking four, and, and maybe Ozil could have bridged that gap a little bit. I certainly yeah. think the Awobi and Aubameyang thing played a big, big part in it. I certainly think the fullback thing played a big, big part in it, and the slack had to get picked up somewhere Ozil is the one who's talented enough to pick up the slack. He didn't, and that's you know that's problematic. So I mean, it is what it is. It's I, by the way, I would not have subbed him off. And when we come to the subs, we'll talk about this because the game was getting a little more stretched. They had to chase the game. I thought the subs cost us this game. So we'll come on to that in a moment. Let's get Scott in here to give us the stats that undermine the arguments we've been making. As always, then we'll come back. We're going to finish off with uh, discussing substitutions and the striker situation going forward. Uh, stay with us. Okay, we're here with Scott. He's going to give us all the statistical analysis of the match that we need so that we know, in fact, it was a lackluster performance. I believe I saw that with my eyes, but my eyes are quite frequently silly, mendacious fools. Uh, Scott will correct my eyes and get my brain on the right wavelength. Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeah, I love that intro. That is your new intro. You are sticking with it. Project 24 became Project 22. We were so close. It did not happen. You give away two penalties. You're unlikely to win. Uh, real quick, since we're not going to have time to get onto it in the main section of the pod. Uh, first penalty, definitely penalty. Second penalty, uh, Shaka, after the match, said he felt it was a penalty. Did you think it was a dive? Um, you know, so I think it can be a dive, but also a foul at the same time. Um, you know, he left the leg out there. You can't do that. But then uh, Zaha dove over it, you know, really sold the contact. Uh, probably a foul, still a dive to, to be able to buy it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bad defending from Shaka. And again, he's a center midfielder defending in his box against a very, very tricky attacking player. But you don't hang the leg. Once you hang the leg, you give the guy a chance to go over it. So it's, I agree with that. I think it's a dive over a hanging leg, which, you know, if the leg's hanging, it's tough for the ref not to call it. Um, so first things first, we had seven shots in the match. Not great. How's the XG look? Uh, not good. Just as good as, you know, you'd expect from only having seven shots. I had Arsenal finished under one XG, so 0.95, not good at all. What about Crystal Palace? Um, so, you know, their XG is going to be juiced by the, the two penalties. So overall, they're 2.33. Um, without the penalties, that comes out to about 0.75. So 0.9 to 0.75, about the kind of match you felt like you watched, right? Just not a, not a classic. Um, I didn't really understand the substitutions in this match, which we uh, are going to get onto later in the podcast. But for you, who were the, who were the struggling players? Who were the ones that, that were lagging in this game statistically? So to me, um, I was really disappointed with Alex Wobi. I thought that he's been um, one of our, our better players um, this season. But 
I really noticed that he just was out of it um, this match. He lost the ball, um, I believe, eight times total in this match. Um, so that's between bad touches and being dispossessed. He just couldn't get any of his dribbles to come off. Um, his passing just seemed to be completely off. He ended up with a, a negative passing value added, which is pretty surprising from him. So that was probably the, the biggest disappointment for me. Um, I thought Ozil was pretty quiet. Um, I thought that um, his performance probably didn't warrant being the the first substitute. I thought Iwobi probably should have been the the guy to come off instead of Ozil, especially uh, if Arsenal are going to be looking to counter. You know, I really trust Ozil to be one of the guys that's able to to run it. Um, you know, I, I from Granite Jackie, he didn't have a great game, but you know, he was also playing out of position, and I think that playing him at left back is probably one of the hardest things to ask. So there's there's a lot of blame to go around where nobody really covered themselves in glory in this match. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, one of the players that, you know, I think is an interesting topic of debate is Lacazette and and his role vis-a-vis Aubameyang and, and who should be starting. Lacazette has really carried a big load goal-scoring-wise this season, obviously, and now maybe cooling off just a bit as we expected any chance we can dive in a little to sort of the regression of the mean thing that might be happening? So Lacazette was scoring with like, or getting like, what, 50% of his shots on target and scoring with all of them or some some crazy number like that. Are we starting to see him regressing to, you know, not, I'm not saying bad numbers, but numbers that are more within line of what we'd ex- expect from a, a player? Yeah, so um, after a couple um, kind of quiet games, um, his numbers have definitely come back down to earth. So I have him at 3.8 XG overall um, against four goals, so pretty much right on the money. Um, so, And right now I believe he's at about uh, 40% of his shots on target. Uh, let's see, I got it right here in front of me. 44% on target. I'm sorry, 37% on target, 44% of those shots being converted, which is, you know, a slightly better than league average, but not um, hugely. Um, you look at the people around him, and there's definitely going to be better finishers, at least for right now. Um, his shot placement actually has rated pretty well, but overall he is not, you know, not finishing at the the super hot amount that we, we liked earlier in the season. Yeah, and I mean, again, no one would have expected him to stay on that pace and the pace he's on now is not bad. It's just that now if he's regressing to the pace, that's more what we'd expect him to be at as a very, very good player. But at this pace, does he, you know, does he warrant keeping the the center forward position as his own? I mean, do you have any opinion on how Emery should be handling that? So, I mean, a lot of the argument goes around the things that he does outside of shooting and scoring goals, you know, his hold up play, being able to bring other players into, uh, the match, and I, I do think that he is probably better at that than Aubameyang, but I'm not sure how needed that is when Arsenal are going to have a, a foundation of Ozil and Torreira and probably Awobi or Mkhitaryan. Um, those guys are, can probably carry that load, and you know you could probably carry um, a striker who's more of a, an out-and-out poacher like Aubameyang, so... To me, looking at it that way, I don't think that those skills are quite as important in this team. I think if you had something like a, a Liverpool where you had two more um, forwards instead of attacking midfielders on the wings, um, having a player like Firmino or Lacazette who's able to do some of the other work, um, I think that is more important. But um, I don't believe the way Arsenal is built that those skills are quite as important. I think it's more important to have a you know pure goal, pure goal scorer in the middle. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I mean, people invoke Firmino as an analog for Lacazette and what he does in build-up. And I just think that that's, you know, at best, inaccurate. And at worst, I think it's 
a little deceptive because, first of all, Firmino isn't really being deployed as their number nine. It's a false nine role that he plays. Um, and well, especially he, because they play in a, a four three three where yes. they don't really have a, a number ten. Um, like Arsenal would, so there's a lot more of that space for him to drop into. Where Arsenal, you know, they are going to play with a more traditional ten in the four-two-three-one. Two true goal-scoring forwards on either side of him. I mean, Mane and Salah want to get into the box, beat a man, and score a goal. We don't have any of that. I mean, you could say Aubameyang is playing kind of like that, but that's never traditionally been what he does. Certainly not with the ball at his feet. Awobi, Ramsey, Mick, you know, Mkhitaryan maybe, but I mean, we we do not have those players and Lacazette is playing in a 4-2-3-1. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I mean if we had a different system, I could see the argument for Lacazette um over Aubameyang, but I don't think in the system that Emery wants to play that that argument is holding water, um especially now that Lacazette isn't going through uh, a giant purple patch where he is finishing everything that he shoots. Yeah, and 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 again, it it's not the, the thing that's hard about this is it can come across as saying, oh, Lacazette's not good. That's not the issue. I, nobody's saying that. And you know, I, I just don't think you can compare a guy who plays false nine and a 4-3-3 to a guy who plays lone striker in a 4-2-3-1. So, anywho, um, this game was made more complicated to analyze because of the dearth of usable fullbacks that we wound up finishing the game with. I mean, Licksteiner is totally washed. And by the way, I've said that a few times in this podcast. I think some people are going to hammer me for that. I'm sorry. I, j- I just, from what I've seen from him so far this season, he's done some great shithousing, but I'm not sure he's you know, really got much left to offer from a performance standpoint. And then Shaka is not a left back. So does anything in the in the data pop off the, the screen to you as sort of demonstrating the struggles we had as a result of our fullback situation? Um, you know, normally um, Arsenal's fullbacks are usually one of their leaders in the passing. Um, so if you looked at the numbers of Lichtensteiner, you know, I'm never going to say that right ever again. I'm not even going to try anymore. Um, he's not very good at passing the ball. He ended up with a, a .03 offensive value added. Uh, Xhaka probably had one of his worst performances from an offensive value added status because he just doesn't look comfortable on the left, um, or at least as a left back to me. It almost looks like he's um, his one-footedness is even more exposed from there, where he doesn't have the you know has the sideline there next to him, so he can't you know just spray the ball to the left. Um, so he actually had a, a negative .12. Uh, Hector Bellerin um, in his short time on the pitch or, you know, his half on the pitch was a, a negative for himself, too. So he looked like he was starting to, to struggle um, towards the end with his injury. It's it's tough, especially when Arsenal depends so much on their fullbacks to be able to provide width and to provide an out ball to be able to build the play. Yeah, I it just it's it for me. Every time I want to draw some conclusions from this game, I, I come back to the fullback situation and. It makes it hard. I mean, I think Wobi had a bad game on the right, but you say would he've had a better game if he had a more dynamic partner in Hector Bellerin overlapping with him? You know, I mean, any conclusion you draw, you know, Aubameyang I don't think is great on the left wing, but having Granite Shaka there to not, you know, pull defenders over more on the overlap may, may cause a problem. So it's, it's just... Exactly, because I don't think Xhaka, you know, provided one overlap all game. Um, having Aubameyang protecting him made him probably look worse as a defender, not that he needed help doing that. Yeah, there's just, you know, fullback crisis right now is in full mode, and it's bad. Yeah, yeah, the great fullback crisis is back. And, and you know, I mean, you have Mustafi doing Mustafi stuff, which doesn't help. Giving away two penalties in a game, very, very hard to win when that happens. As far as... uh as Genduzi, I mean, he gets the start with Torreira, not under ideal situations given what we've already discussed about the lineup, but 
on the whole, I mean, does his play look as sort of uninspired? I, again, I'm a huge, huge Ganduzi fan, and I think criticism of him in this situation would be harsh, but statistically, was the play kind of uninspired from his standpoint? Yeah, it, again, it doesn't show up as anything great in the numbers. Um, I know one of the things that I've always talked about that, that Xhaka provides that is really hard to replace in this team is his ability to connect the midfield um, to the final third. And it was really obvious um, in the numbers that Arsenal didn't have a player to do that. Um, Guendouzi was somewhat close. I think he had um, between four and six um, final third entries, um, where typically uh, Granit Xhaka is over 10, um, you know, almost 11 per 90 minutes. So that was something that was really obvious um, in this match. Arsenal really controlled possession in the middle third, but um, Crystal Palace actually ended up having more final third touches, more touches in the box. So it's really, really bad when um, you're not able to turn any of that possession into dangerous attacks. And I think that was one of the things that, that really hurt Arsenal. Yeah. Well, I mean, this this was disappointing. I mean, how, how, just from an emotional standpoint, I mean... Project 24 was an exciting idea. We got 22 out of 24 points. Do you come away from it, as crazy as it sounds, get 22 from 24 points plus all the other wins we strung along in the other uh, cup competitions, do you come away from this maybe feeling less confident than you might have given that some of the underlying performances and you know lineup issues and squad rotational issues have maybe not l- 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 let me rephrase this since i'm not going anywhere and i was dribbling into a cul-de-sac there um if you told me we got 22 from the next 24 points when this started i would have said well it's not 24 but god we must be really firing on all cylinders looking really good and finally looking like we've clicked under emery i'm not sure you can say that's the case so so i guess what i'm asking is do you have the requisite confidence you would have expected to have based on the run we've been on <laughs> Yeah, so I think I'm in that that same boat where, you know, if you had told me in the beginning we got 22 points out of 24, I'd have been ecstatic because that's really good. Um, It usually probably means that you're playing well. Um, But for long stretches of this run, Arsenal haven't played well. I was starting to get a little bit optimistic seeing as that Arsenal put together three pretty good matches where they seem to be kind of clicking, you know, kind of buying into what Emery's doing on offense. And then this one comes in and it's just a, a stinker. Um, there are mitigating circumstances for this. Um, you know, giving up two penalties is going to make things look a lot worse than what it was. You know, it, without those two penalties, maybe things are a bit better. Um, but, you know, Crystal Palace still put a lot of pressure on there. I think it was hard to watch this and say that, Arsenal were a better team in this because I really don't think they were and that's that's tough to to see um, especially with a Liverpool coming up on the weekend Um, I I think it's going to be tough on you know tomorrow I I think you almost have to punt that game especially with the the injury crisis that's going on right now and you really need to, to focus on Liverpool and trying to really get things back on track and figure out what was wrong against Crystal Palace and figure out how to get that offense back clicking yeah yeah, well, that's well said, and I, you know, I think we can probably leave it there. I, I would just ask you this: I will skip the Blackpool game for a second. We we may get time to do a preview for Liverpool um, after the Blackpool match, but just in case we don't, do you have an early look at what your model expects as a result from that match? Um, I haven't run things yet. Um, I haven't updated it for the the new data that's come in this weekend, so I don't have it yet. Um, I'll have something on Friday, uh, a full post, and probably a good stats preview on the short fuse. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, Scott's on Twitter. Oh, underscore that underscore crap. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. 
All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the substitutions and the center forward conundrum. So stay with us. There's a lot more to go on the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Okay, we're back. Those are the statistics you need to know to understand the match in a way that our analysis never could bring it home. Uh, but we're going to do our best to uh, add something to that now. And this time we're going to talk uh, substitutions and the striker situation, as I've been mentioning. And the reason I'm pushing this ahead a little bit is we're a little pressed for time. So not the two hour and 15 minute podcast you were hoping for, probably just the hour 20. So we've got about 12 minutes left, which means six minutes on each topic, guys. Put that in your mind. Because uh, we really want to get to both of them. Clive, I'll, I'll stick with you and stay with you for a second. As far as the substitutions, I didn't like them. I think I've been clear about that. I thought they were the totally wrong choice. I think Palace had to chase the game. Lacazette had an off game. It was a chance to get Aubameyang up front, running in behind, something for Ozil to do, somewhat, runners to feed him. If you want to go with Welbeck and, and Aubameyang up front and really play on the counter, it looked like that was the pattern of the game. He didn't go that way. Um I, I didn't understand the substitutions. I didn't understand removing Ozo for Welbeck, other than maybe a little more defensive pressure. Uh, I certainly didn't understand Aubameyang coming off. So uh, for you, and, and I realize one of the substitutions was enforced, um, obviously. Yeah. So that, that does change things. Um, but for you, you know, and, and lo- losing Bellerin is a, a major worry. But for you, I mean, do you think you got the subs wrong? How would, how would you have preferred to see it go? Um, I, I don't blame him. For taking off Urzel late in an away game, um, I, I don't. Especially when you're playing against a very tall, strong, quite fast, on the up Crystal Palace away from home. I can't say that's a massive mistake, considering how we conceded the goal. That I, you know, it came a little bit. You know, it's the only way that potentially they were going to score from a set piece, for example. So I don't. I can see it and. We did, we did this in the Champions League final once. We took off a player controlling the game and put on Matthew Flamley that didn't touch the ball, right? So so it, sometimes you, you overcoach that situation and you fear the three games in six days. You fear the energy levels dropping and you think, let me put on the most physical guy I have to create some energy for us to try to lift us for the last quarter of the game. I can't say that was massively wrong, Elliot. Do you know what I mean? And if we'd have got the I win... I mean, I, I can, not, but, but yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and again, uh, I, I caveat this by saying I didn't see his game live, so I didn't get that... You know that feeling you get, that emotion you get when yeah. you're watching a game live? Oh, I get, I I just, get the emotions. I definitely yeah, get those. <laughs> I, I haven't got this one, and I've, I've said that online, and, to, and I will just say what I see. So I, I try to explain the rationale behind the decision without the emotion. So I can, I can see that one. And, and would I have done it? Maybe. Maybe I do agree that uh, Abamyang, he's he's had his minutes managed really well, and I think he's you know he's he scored some goals recently. He scored in this game. I like his danger and his effervescentness on the pitch. That's the right word. Mm-hmm. I like what he brings to us, and I think by by taking that option, I think that almost goes against the point I was making. Right? Keep, if you're gonna go energetic, then be energetic. Right, make sure you keep the energy on the pitch. So um, I, I think he maybe made a mistake there. But um, again, that's all based in hindsight. And I, 
uh, by bringing on players, you know, he brought on Welbeck and he brought on, is it Ramsey, if I remember rightly? Yep, so, yep, yep. Ramsey forever. And mm-hmm. if I'm, and I'm saying to you right now, they are two massive runners that control game with effort and work rate. The sort of players you potentially bring on to secure a result. Right, and mm. it, 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 it's, I, I know, I know, you can almost hear, yeah, yeah, mm. but I want to see your can, point. You I see, just don't. I don't. I don't I, it's I have, not that I don't I see it. I don't agree with point, it. But you can, mm. I want you to see. You can see it from his side. Right, put yourself in his situation. Third game in six days. We're running. We're running low on gas. He's put on two of the strongest runners we have to, for the last quarter of the game. I just want you to see the logic behind that. No, Can I, you agree I get with that. The logic there? Uh, but but so here's my thing, right? If you said to me, who are the players? who are going to help me keep some control of this game and potentially take advantage of them pressing for an equalizer. Yeah. I don't mind the Welbeck running. Maybe take off Lacazette. You know, you're not going to be building play as much. You don't need the hold-up play as much. You don't need someone who's dropping in because we're not going to have as much possession in their attacking third. We hardly had it in their attacking third the whole game in terms of where we were possessing the ball. It was an off yeah. day for Lacazette. Um, you know, that's going to happen. So I, I would have taken him off for Welbeck and maybe let yeah. Welbeck play on the left where he can run and defend and harry and, and support Shaka and let Yang race in behind, give Ozil someone to latch on to. And then when Ramsey came on, I would have brought him on for Awobi who just was not having a good game on the right and Ramsey is comfortable out there. We've seen it before and he covers a lot of ground. He has an engine that maybe Awobi doesn't have, especially late in games. And I would have kept that threat of running in behind, I would have yeah. kept Ozil because Ozil is our best ball protector. When he's on the ball, he does not lose it. Um, yeah. You know, and and that's how I would have gone. So I didn't understand. You know the- what, mate? Mm-hmm. I think that makes a hell of a lot of sense. All right, I think it really does. I <laughs> hang think on, it hang really on. Does. I got to do the thing where you lick your you lick your finger and then make the one sign in the air. <laughs> I think one it makes it. You know, given given that Lacazette was involved in the goal we conceded, you know, it makes a lot of sense, right? And um, and I am a that big giveaway fan. was bad. Yeah, that was a I'm, bad bad giveaway. It's a, it's a bad decision. And I, although Ramsey's not a fan of it, I've always felt he was better on the right. I've always felt he was more Lundberg than Lampard, and I, and that's what he needs to develop, define his game around. He's moved, Lundberg was somebody just got goal side, worked from the right. That's my starting position, and I'm going to end up in the box. And when it doesn't happen, I'm going to go back out to the right and protect my fullback and combine. He was an average football technically on the, on the ball, but when he arrived in that box, he was technically perfect. That to me is Aaron Ramsey in the box with less time technically a much higher level than when he's got time in the center of the pitch and i like him coming from right hand side but he doesn't like it and hence why he's not in the team right now yeah so that would that would make a lot of i would have made a lot of sense so i can see it but i can also see why emery did it yeah okay f- fair enough Let, let's uh get ready to wrap up on the sub so we can just spend five minutes on the on the striker situation and by the way just really quickly we, we gave away two penalties in this match. Were they penalties? I mean, the Mustafi one, I think, certainly is. The second one, a lot of people are calling it a dive, but Shaka hangs a leg. And when you hang a leg like that, it makes it really tough for the referee. He sees a leg hang out, and he sees a guy go over it. I think Shaka, even after the match, said it was a penalty. It's just not the way you want to defend there. And while I could kill Shaka for it, he, he should never be defending Wilfred Zaha in his box. So... You know, it is what it is. Yeah. That starts with Lacazette giving the ball away really poorly. So, I mean... Well, actually, what really bothered me about that one, Elliot, was if it's Mustafi's decision to go in but not go all the way in and yeah. clear the man yep. out. Absolutely. And then as, he, as he's recovering, he has a stumble, which doesn't allow him to get close enough to Shaka to, to give it a 2-on-1. 
Yeah. So Shaka I mean? can't put, put can't can't shield him. He has to he has he to try to take him on. He can't show yep. him one mm-hmm. way. He's now squared up, and it was just a combination of events which left Shaka exposed against a sixty million pound double step over winger. Yeah, I mean right? a guy so, who's going to be at a big club sooner rather than yeah, later. So I, I have sympathy for Shaka there, even though I don't always have sympathy for the way he defends in midfield in his own box against Zaha. I have sympathy. So Paul, I mean, c- closing out the conversation quickly on substitutions. I mean, do you have anything to add to what? Uh, Clive and I were discussing amongst ourselves. So my feeling during the game was kind of similar to yours. Uh, when I, it felt a mistake when Ozo was coming off. He just felt like he had his head in the game for that part of it, for the taking care of the ball and, and for getting us up the field. Um, the thing is, I understand Emery's logic. On which did did you on just that. like put your thumb over your microphone? Okay, there you go. You're back. Keep going. Yeah, sorry. Um, I mean. Ramsey and Welbeck are much higher touch players than Aubameyang and Ozil. And we, we weren't busy. We were getting a little bit overrun through the game. So, I mean, Ozil had had 10 touches in the second half uh, in the time he was on. And, you know, Aubameyang isn't always the most careful with the ball. I actually thought he, he was pretty decent in this game. I think he actually took care of the ball. But you could see why uh, Welbeck and Ramsey would be seen as the busiest, busier, more industrious players. Welbeck defensively uh, kind of does that Welbeck-Giroud uh, role for set pieces and headers, etc. So I, I've sympathy for it, but uh, I wasn't feeling it. I was feeling keeping Ozil on for sure, whatever about Aubameyang. Okay, so so let me stay with you for this part for a second, and then I'll get to Clive, because yeah. I, know, I know Clive is going to lose his mind over this, but you know, we get two goals in this game. One is from a set piece, and it's it's just fucking brilliant from Shaq. Okay, what else can you say? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he runs to the, the manager to celebrate fucking with him. Fucking howitzer. That's yeah, what I can say. The, Jesus. The, the manager had encouraged him to try this more. He tries it, and it, it comes off quite brilliantly. And now, unfortunately, later in the match, he just hammered one over the bar when we needed something a little special. But that's another another point. Um, okay, look. Aubameyang started the season as our striker. This conversation, I'm going to caveat it again. A lot of caveats this, this podcast. I love Lacazette. Brilliant fucking player. Thrilled he's at our club. Okay? Aubameyang starts the season as our central, as our center forward. Goes two matches. Should have won us the Chelsea match. But he's getting in those dangerous positions. Since he's arrived at Arsenal, no one has been involved in more goals than Alexander Lacazette. 22 and 23 games. He's only been outscored by Mohamed Salah in that time. Uh, pardon me. Aubameyang. That's Aubameyang. Yep. All right. Just um, coming in yeah, to yep, save yep, you yep. again. It was Aubameyang, right? So Aubameyang <laughs> been involved in more goals than anybody else, only surpassed by Salah in terms of goals scored. He he, he gets into those dangerous chances, he, he, he uh, areas. He scores the goal in this game quite brilliantly, finding the spot to be. He just always seems to know where the ball's going to be in the box, taps home brilliantly. I don't think that's as easy a finish as people give it credit for, and he knew exactly how hard to hit it to get it one millimeter over the line. Good thinking, Aubameyang. Um, from Lacazette's beautifully handled pass. But anyway, Lacazette got the job off of those first two losses, and he kept the job in part on his goals. He was scoring on every fucking shot. You can't take a striker out when he's in the kind of run of form that Lacazette was in. But he had some bad misses against, um, was it Sporting? Was it the Sporting game where he had the misses in midweek? Or am I going back? He, he had he had, a, yep. no. uh, he had the sitter he missed against Leicester. Didn't matter. Um and then he, I, th- he, I think he had misses in one. one he, he missed some goals, some chances, whatever. Anyway, in this game, he, he wasn't great. He had the one where he was on the stretch and he didn't put it on net. And he, he just didn't have the best of games. Look, he's been brilliant. He is brilliant. But 
I am of the opinion that Aubameyang is overall, on the whole, in Europe, one of the best goal-scoring strikers in Europe. The record shows it. People talk about link-up play, hold-up play, I get it. But Aubameyang is a ruthless goal scorer, and his record, and people say, well, he hasn't done it in the Premier League. Well, yeah, he has, because only Mo Salah has outscored him since he's been here. My contention is that Aubameyang either needs to be starting at striker or dropped, unless we're going to play two up front. He is not a left-winger. So, Paul, how would you go forward, knowing we've got Liverpool next, how would you go forward with the striker situation? Well, it depends on whether we got any width, doesn't it? Because if, I mean, how did he score in this game? It was it was from a dead ball, but it was from coming wide and him ghosting in at the far point, post. So that's kind of his his MO, his modus operandi. Um, look, the other thing you got to say about Lacazette is um, he got his chance. He, earn, he earned keeping place. He's been he's great at dropping deeper. And there's a whole there is a rationale for Obama Yang coming in from one side as a, a second second striker, uh, ghosting in when we got cutbacks coming from the other side. The question is against Liverpool, where are those cutbacks coming from? So first you gotta tell me if we have any wingers. If we don't if we don't have anybody playing wide who's gonna cut the ball back in, then it puts much more pressure on the decision to have both a Yami Yang and Lacazette. So um, there's the short-term answer. Long-term, uh, look, I'm, I'm moved by the argument that Aubameyang is a world-class striker with a world-class output. Unfortunately, Lacazette has, has been fairly close to world-class over the last uh, five, six games or so. So it's, it's just really hard for a coach to drop him. And yet, ironically, to- has been outscored by Aubameyang. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it is, right? but... but the, you know, why has he? Because you could come up with all sorts of reasons, one of which is it ain't that bad having him ghosting in from one side. And, you know, I mean, look look at what Lacazette was willing to do to get Aubameyang a goal in this game, right? He will, yeah, he will threw do it to him, physically threw it to him. Yeah, yeah he will prostitute himself. So it, I don't think this setup is optimum. Don't get me wrong. But is it the best setup we have given... The, the the players we have, given that Lacazette's on a hot streak, perhaps when Lacazette gets maybe drops his form a little bit and has a few average games, I want to see Aubameyang um, through the middle. But we're going to have a relearning process because nobody's played with Aubameyang through the middle since the first two games. So I, I'm not sure it's going to be all sweetness and light. No, that's fair. Uh, but but a couple of things here. I mean, first of all, I think. Lacazette's form has dropped a little bit, and I thought this game was probably his worst of the season. And again, I'm I'm not trying to kill him. He has been, if but not our best player, one game? of them. I thought he had a bad game. Yeah, I do. I, I he had a, a reasonably presentable chance that he got his feet wrong and and didn't convert it. Um, he had the giveaway was, that cost was, us the was equal. That the one where the ball was like a little too far away. It was from just him. a little too far. Yeah, but I you know I okay, think but, I think it was one know. of those he got his stride wrong. You know what I mean? He he could have taken an extra step onto it, but he he, he takes a longer stride. I mean, again, we, we know based on XG that none of these are sitters. I'm just saying he could do well, a little no, better Obama there. Aubameyang is not the highest converting no, Obama striker Yang, on the planet. What makes Aubameyang special is he gets more chances than anybody, and he converts them at about the expected rate. Um, yeah. Look, Lacazette also had the giveaway that cost us the equalizer. Now, I'm not saying you have to give away a penalty just because you've given the ball away in the attack and third. And he did something similar against Chelsea when he came on. He was, yep, he was that's the exactly right. passed it back. So yep. like I'm like, ow. 
Anyway, Again, though, I'm not yeah. killing Lacazette. This is, it's not like what's, I'm saying... What's, what's, really, what's really good, Elliot, is neither of them have been on tip-top form for the whole season. What's really good is when one of them slightly dips, the other one steps forward and scores. Yes. And, and I think I'm looking at them as a two, and then the third striker is how we support them. Now, potentially, we could be losing that third striker. We have an option of a young kid who potentially I think should go out on loan and potentially that could be our upgrade in, in the January or that could be something we do in the summer. So I think having the two, when we see the two of them losing that spark at the same time, Arsenal have problems. At this moment in time, Aubameyang scoring, he looks a little bit sharper than Lacazette. Just two, three games ago, Lacazette was carrying it and getting player of the month, etc., etc. Yeah, of course. So it, it, it will change. And then the manager now, and probably which is where your angst is, the manager needs to recognise which one is hot and which one is not. At the weekend, in your opinion, he picked the wrong one. And I sort of can get that, and I, and I sort of agree with you. Can, can I just adjust that statement, by the way, real quick? Of course you can. I almost... Can. Look... I love Aubameyang. He's probably my favorite player in, in the team. Okay, I, I I'm sorry. It just it is what it is. We all have favorites. I apologize for it. Like people are mad at me for it. I can't help it. Um, he's just a style of player that I absolutely adore. But I would have dropped him for this match. If you're gonna start Lacazette, play a Wobi on the left where he's been brilliant, and put Ramsey in on the right, or put Mkhitaryan on the right, and just don't play Aubameyang and bring him in on 70 minutes when the defense is a little tired and that burst of speed he has is something they they just don't have the aware their mind has slowed their their feet have slowed and let him take advantage of that or swap him with Lacazette on 70 minutes and change the the problem that the center backs have to solve, especially when you have a one-goal lead and they have to attack you more and leave Ozil on to play yeah. him in behind. We covered that already. This isn't me saying drop Lacazette and play Aubameyang as center forward. Would I prefer to see that? I think it's probably time, yes. But it is me saying don't play Aubameyang in left wing. Have Aubameyang either be your substitute center forward or come on when you want to play two up front or start him at center forward. I just don't think this role, and again, I realize even in this role he's scoring because he's such a prolific scorer, but this isn't a role that I think is good for the team as a whole. So look, this is the problem. When you spend 110 million pounds in two consecutive windows on world-class strikers, one who's exceptional and one who's even better than that, you wind up with, with issues like this, and they're good issues to have, but they can be destructive if you wind up shoehorning players in in ways that are not contributory to the success of the overall squad. Is that fair? That's very fair. And, oh, okay. and I, I, I think it's very fair. I think you've been very fair this whole way through, despite having favourites and admitting that. It's not a problem. I just think, for once, I actually think the problem was in our full-back areas. That's the problem we of course. I think Of course. I think we control this game significantly greater if we can move Shaka into the middle of the pitch, share the game with Guendouzi. It's a much different dynamic then. And then you basically have fullbacks causing them problems in wide areas. So our fullbacks were, we had a couple of slow fullbacks that were stuck at home. We couldn't push them back. We lose control. A muscly team manages to get a couple of penalties and, and get a result. I can live with that. Very unfortunate to have two left backs out at the same time. And maybe the question we've got to ask ourselves is around Colosinic. Whenever we need him, he's not there. He's a second backup fullback that never Who's seems never available. to be available. <laughs> it's a problem. He yeah, never I seems to that. be available. And he's on, I know he's a free transfer, but he's on, a, he's on one of our fourth highest paid players. I think we've got to look at that situation and ask ourselves, are we getting value? Can we get value for him in the market and have something else which adds a bit of youth and dynamism and somebody that can defend in his own box? Right. So that decision's coming. Right. He's not available. 
And that annoys me when we really need him. Yeah, and by the way, just real quick, you know, there are people who are going to say, Ellie, the one thing you don't see with Lacazette is how important he is to build up and link up play, and that's important. You know, Aubameyang can go missing because he wants to run behind, and I get Aubameyang has a little of the Theo in him, where Lacazette has a little more of the Giroud in him, if you follow my analogy there. They're both better players than those comparisons. But, I mean, Lacazette had one shot off target in 90 minutes and completed 21 passes in 90 minutes, so... It is possible to overstate what you think. You know, you see a player as a certain way. Lacazette is a great build-up player who, you know, facilitates the attack. We had seven shots in this game, so it wasn't working. You know, and I'm not putting that on Lacazette. I've made it clear that I think, you know, some of that responsibility rests with Ozil and with not having fullbacks. I totally get that this was a disjointed lineup for reasons that weren't totally within Emery's control. But as a final point, I just think that we now have to you know, nail our colors to the mast with Liverpool coming up next. And we're not going to have tons of possession against Liverpool. We're not going to be sitting in the attacking third. I can see using Lacazette in games where we're parked in the attacking third because we need to combine more around the area. And that's where I'd love to see Aubameyang a little closer to Lacazette like they were in the Leicester game because I think it can be devastating. But if we're going to be playing in transition a little, if the game's going to be a little more up and down the pitch against Liverpool... Do you want the running that Aubameyang gives you? Someone for Mesut Ozil to, to feed it to? We've, we've seen Mesut Ozil, you know, thrive more with that kind of person to provide you want, it to. You want, you want them both, Elliot, because what you're going to find, you're going to find our players under more stress, our defensive players under more stress. And so they need to have exit plans. And our exits, we need Lacazette in these games more than any other game because we need to create that first phase play. And then we need Aubameyang for the second phase play. I think we need them both. And th- yeah. these uh, are days you I think the work rate Lacazette. that Lacazette brings, imagine Liverpool uh, with plenty of possession, putting a lot of pressure on us. Lacazette is great at dropping into the midfield, nicking a ball, harrying people, running around. I mean, we shouldn't underestimate what he does for us out of possession. And then having Aubameyang hitting them on the counter uh, of the wing. Um, I mean, I see your point, Elliot, but then you're asking me to give up all these other things. And I'm with Clive. Do we have wit? Do we have wingers? Changes changes how effective we're going to be. Uh, more so yes, than, than tr- committing look, to one striker or the other. Look at yep. the chances that fell to Aubameyang in the Chelsea game, and they were all created from great wide play, especially down Bellerin's side. If we have neither Bellerin nor Nacho nor Kolasinac, you're right, it may not be a game for Aubameyang. I will say this. If it's Salah and uh, Mane up against Shaka and Licksteiner, this is all academic. So let's hope yeah. something gets figured out. I, I know we're, we're up against a hard stop and we really do have to go. So I'm going to thank Clive. Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Cl- thank you, Clive. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Pause. We were supposed to announce the winner of the shirt competition today. We're out of time. We're going to do it after the Blackpool game anyway because technically it was supposed to run all month and the month isn't over until uh, Wednesday. So Thursday is the perfect time to announce the winner. So you have another day to enter the shirt giveaway and we will announce it on the post-Blackpool pod. So chance for Arsenal to get right, get an easy win, get the squad set up. Hopefully the fullbacks are back uh, and then we can look ahead to Liverpool. We'll do a preview on the pod. We'll do Tim's preview and all that. Thank you so much as always for listening. Sign up for our Patreon. You'll get Tim's uh, preview. You'll get the In the Spotlight on Granite Shaka next week. But even if you don't, we love you. We appreciate you for listening. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Blackpool nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.